MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Scarcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Bobby Glanton Smith. And I'm Tim Livingston. The world just lost an amazing human being and an extraordinary athlete, great humanitarian, and the heart and soul of the Los Angeles Lakers franchise, the great Elgin Baylor. This episode is dedicated to his legacy. This is Westward. Westward is a production of the Dan Patrick Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. Episode 2. They called him The Rabbit. Long before there was a battle for L.A., there was a battle to L.A. And while Bob Short's Lakers had narrowly averted catastrophe in Carroll, Iowa, in January of 1960, there was no doubt that the entire league was trying to avoid a crash of its own. In just over a decade of the incipient league's existence, 
15 teams had come and gone. And of the eight franchises that remained, six were on the brink of insolvency. At the time, owners were preoccupied with just surviving. So that meant constantly moving to bigger markets. The Pistons moved from Fort Wayne to Detroit. The Warriors moved from Philadelphia to San Francisco. And of course, the Lakers. But it wasn't actually the move that saved the Lakers. It was something else. Not something. Someone. His name was Elgin Gay Baylor. Baylor being guarded by Kuzi as he goes in and makes it. Outstanding player. Once he starts to move, he's almost impossible to stop. So when you look at the genesis of modern basketball, it starts with Mr. Elgin Baylor. Before Elgin Baylor, there were no black stars in the league. There had been a couple of other players, but Elgin Baylor was the first player that the league invested in, and he more than delivered. At six foot five, Baylor may have been average in height, but he possessed a sprinter's speed, and the 225 pounds of sinewy muscle that hung off his frame were over 30 pounds heavier than the average NFL lineman at the time. It was Elgin's body that made him so unique. He wasn't built like a prototypical basketball player. In fact, most people don't know that he actually went to college in Idaho on a football scholarship. I was a pretty good athlete, you know. I could play all sports. My mother talk about, you know, playing football, and, you know, she said, no, you're not going to do something like that. I mean, you can go out there and get hurt, which makes a lot of sense. So she said, basketball, if you're going to play, play basketball. And that's what I wanted to do, play basketball a private liberal arts college located in Caldwell, Idaho. The school's enrollment was only 450 students. D.C. is a totally different. I was surprised going to, you know, a white school and then learning from a black school. But I mean, when I went there, it was fine. You know, it was really accepted with the people. But many of the game's followers believed that Baylor and his College of Idaho Coyotes would never be able to compete with powerhouses like Gonzaga, Nevada, and Montana State. Baylor would answer these critics by scoring 57 points in his first game as a freshman. He would play two years in Caldwell before transferring to the University of Seattle, where he would establish himself as the best player in college. Forgoing his senior year to turn pro, Elgin Baylor would be the player every team in the NBA wanted, including Bob Short's Lakers. Elgin Baylor was a magician on the court. If he was playing today, I mean, people talked about him and Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan's early day. Everybody wanted Baylor, and they would give the Lakers somebody in return. My dad wouldn't give up Baylor. Coming off their first season in the post-Mikan era, the Lakers had plummeted to the bottom of the standings. And as luck would have it, the team would have the top pick in the 1958 draft, and owner Bob Short would do whatever it took to sign him. I remember walking into my dad's office or when he was on the phone at home talking to the general manager of the Lakers, and I think it was bad ankles. Or I remember my dad saying, I don't care if you have to buy him a new pair of sneakers every game. Aside from the money Baylor would cost, there was another complication. 
arguably the biggest star in all of professional basketball, had to complete his military duty like any other mid-20s-year-old guy of the era. He had to report for active duty someplace and couldn't get leave. Despite these concerns, Laker owner Bob Short rolled the dice on Baylor to the tune of $22,000 a year, a record contract at the time. And it was a gamble that paid off. Elgin Baylor literally saved the franchise. In his first professional season, Elgin Baylor would average 25 points and 15 rebounds per game, winning both Rookie of the Year and first-team All-NBA honors. Modern basketball began with Elgin Baylor. Every single reverse layup, every single between-the-legs dribble, every single spinning move that you see in a routine manner in every single NBA game owes its existence to the mind of one man, Elgin Baylor. I used to go and watch him and try and figure out his moves. I, I never got very good with those. We hear about all these players at hang time, and Elgin was hang time, and before hang time, it was hang time. Elgin, I'm a little young to know about you, but... You know, when you listen to guys like uh, Magic Johnson and Dr. J and Jordan talk about the greats, your name always came up. So finally, I Googled you. (laughs) And let me say, you were a bad man. But of all the accomplishments on the basketball court his rookie year, it would be what Elgin Baylor did off the court that not only defined who he was, but would be one of the pioneering moments of the athlete and social justice and a defining moment for the destiny of the NBA. You are listening to Westward on the Dan Patrick Podcast Network. We'll be right back. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison... Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. It was January 1959, Charleston, West Virginia. The Lakers was in town to play the Cincinnati Royals in the city's first ever NBA game. They were supposed to stay at the Kanawha Hotel at Virginia and Summer Street. When the team went to go check in, the clerk behind the desk said, this is a nice, respectable hotel. The colored boys would have to go somewhere else. One of those colored boys was Elgin Baylor. You know, that was respectful, especially for the black players. Because they're treated like an animal, there's no respect. You know, didn't want to perform or be a part of that. Bad things happened in the South. Later that evening, when the Laker team was set to depart for the game, Baylor would join his teammates. But he would not dress for the game. And I didn't want to be a part of it. I didn't want to be part of some things that I didn't like. This country and this world has in many ways changed significantly over the last 
50 years to the extent where it's beyond most people's comprehension who are under 50 to even think about the indignities that were routine for the people from Elgin Baylor's generation. And despite all of those indignities, he was able to ascend above all of that and maintain his dignity. It would be the first time a black athlete had refused to play in a professional game out of protest. On a lot of teams, that would have been the last time he would have been dismissed from the team, which you know was the difference between him and the breadline. And so for Elgin Baylor to do it at a risk of a job, I mean, that was pure courage. After the incident, the Charleston Business Club sent a harsh telegram to NBA Commissioner Maurice Podoloff, urging disciplinary action against Baylor, claiming his protest was embarrassing and damaging to their chances of promoting future NBA games in Charleston. The revolution is not always televised. And the act of courage and the willingness to sacrifice all many times is not publicized. What Elgin Baylor did in Charleston, West Virginia in 1959 is one of the most significant stories yet to be told, simply because no cameras, no spotlights, but a man on principle deciding that he was gonna stand upon his convictions for what's right. Both the NBA's and Baylor's Laker teammates' response was mixed, while Podoloff issued a tacit statement saying that its players had every assurance against any indignity. The league took no action. And an anonymous Laker said, I admire Belgian's willingness to stand by his conviction. He's very much respected on this club. Still, I think he let the team down by not playing. But in a show of support, owner Bob Short would back his player, issuing his own statement. My father wrote a letter to the commissioner of the National Basketball Association that said, Mr. Baylor's refusal to play was a matter of principle for him. I'm never going to argue with anyone on matters of principle. In the future, the Lakers will always demand non-segregation clauses in all contracts. The name Bob Short doesn't resonate the way it should, but he's comparable to Branch Rickey in many ways without the fanfare. Bob Short was, simply put, a man's man. He based all of his major decisions on principle. And when he stood behind Elgin Baylor in 1959, that would be unimaginable in most circles. You know, my dad's been dead now for uh, 40-some years, and he grew up in North Minneapolis, which is, at that time, to the extent there was a black population in Minneapolis, it was in North Minneapolis. And this is one of his defining moments. The incident in Charleston the man at the center of it, and the team he represented would become symbolic of both a league and a culture becoming. Elgin 
was not only the greatest Laker who ever played. For a number of reasons, he was also the most important player for the entire league because he was the league's first African-American superstar two years before Wilt and Oscar. You see, unlike the other sports, basketball was not a game you could hide the black athlete. Of all the things the league had to figure out, how the black athlete was treated, marketed, and integrated into communities would be crucial. The idea of moving a professional franchise to Los Angeles wasn't new. In fact, just two years earlier, the Brooklyn Dodgers and New York Giants had shocked the baseball world by moving to Los Angeles and San Francisco. But the irony in this Western expansion was that one of the New York team's destination wasn't California. It was Minneapolis. Both the Dodgers and Giants wanted out of New York. Dodgers owner Walter O'Malley wanted California, but his friend Horace Stoneham favored Minnesota. In fact, Stoneham even bought 40 acres of land off Wayzata Boulevard, west of downtown Minneapolis, as a site for a future ballpark. Had he done that, it would have changed the dynamics of sports in that city forever, and the Lakers probably would have stayed. But a deal would never come to fruition, and Stoneham with his Giants would follow the Dodgers out west, where both teams were welcomed by an immediate fan base. Aiming to replicate their success, just months after he had nearly lost his entire team to a plane crash in Carroll, Iowa, Bob Short formally asked permission from NBA owners to relocate his Laker team to Los Angeles. In a resounding, unanimous vote of 7-0, to zero, the NBA said no. The NBA thought it would be a disaster. The time difference plus the expense for East Coast teams to get out there, and it was professional basketball. Not the hottest ticket in town at the time. Teams in proven sports towns throughout the East Coast and Midwest were struggling to make ends meet. How on earth would a team make it in L.A.? The NBA believed it couldn't. But Harlem Globetrotter owner Abe Saperstein was somebody who thought it could. Saperstein had been a great source of revenue for the NBA because they would play exhibitions with the pros. The NBA had always promised him a franchise. So Saperstein was tired of waiting, and right after he heard the NBA had refused a Laker relocation, he announced he was forming the American Basketball League and was placing a team in Los Angeles called the Jets. Fearing that their league could lose a potentially valuable territory, NBA owners voted again. And this time, Bob Short won 8-0. The city of Los Angeles was finally about to get a professional basketball team. On paper, it seemed to be a match made in heaven. The Minneapolis Lakers would now become the Los Angeles Lakers. But the California party Bob Short's team may have expected was a little late in arriving. You are listening to Westward on the Dan Patrick Podcast Network. We'll be right back. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. 
you'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans. The chaos in Washington, D.C. And trending topics on social media. As well as my straight shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast. To start listening. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts.
the Lakers moved to L.A. expecting it to be the land of milk and honey, and like any new business, they struggle there too. Remember, at the time, professional sports on the West Coast was new, and there were significant additional travel expenses for the Lakers to play primarily a schedule that was St. Louis and points east. You know, when you think about L.A., even to this very day, the basketball team that has got to compete with all of the things that you can do in the city of Los Angeles. And one of the things that really challenged the Lakers in terms of establishing a, a beachhead in this city was the rise of UCLA Bruins. They had just built this sparkling new edifice called the Pauley Pavilion. While the Lakers played in a dungeon. And on top of that, another pro team moved into L.A., and they weren't bad. Abe Saperstein and his ABL's Los Angeles Jets had indeed moved in. With a three-point line and coached by a local legend in Bill Sharman, who had returned home after sharing the back caught in Boston with Bob Cousy, the Jets would finish their first season with a respectable 24-15 record. Meanwhile, the newly relocated Lakers would be lucky to finish at all. My dad hired Louis Mose to be general manager, and the story always was he gave him three specific instructions. First, don't let me hear from you. Second, if you have any money left, send it back to me. And finally, if you need more money, don't call me. The Lakers' budget was so tight that Mose's wife was tasked with washing the players' jerseys, and he had his children count the ticket receipts. One of the many problems that the new West Coast Lakers faced was exposure. Nobody would carry their games because a game in Boston was 5 o'clock in L.A., and that was drive time, which was the most profitable time period in that era for a local radio station. And they weren't going to pass up those opportunities to have advertisements every five minutes. Laker owner Bob Short would do what he usually did to solve problems. My dad bought a radio station from a guy who ran an FM radio station, a Class C FM radio station, which was as valuable a product as there was. And this guy who owned the station was running classical music. And he had a promotion. You know, my dad kind of laughed at his own promotions, but this guy's promotion was the fifth caller wins $1,000. And he never gave away the money because he never had five calls. He was trying to collect the money. But they bought that radio station. Though the Lakers would struggle to gain their footing, the city's other professional basketball franchise, the L.A. Jets, would never catch air. And after only one year in existence, would fold leaving the Lakers and the NBA free to flourish. Nearly 60 years after the move, the city that had no professional basketball team has two again. And in front of the building, where both franchises call home, there is a bronze statue of the man who was most likely responsible for bringing basketball to Los Angeles. But the 16-foot-9, 1,500-pound edifice of Elgin Rabbit Baylor was not the first of the Laker greats to receive the honor. In fact, it wasn't put up until 2014. Something that chafes the icon, 
whose own statue is less than 20 yards away. I mentioned so many people, so many different times, and I even offered to pay for it one time. And I don't know why I was rejected or not, but if you go back in history in basketball here in L.A., he should have been the first one there. He should have been. I used to watch him in practice out of the corner of my eye, and particularly when I was a rookie. And I said, how in the world am I ever going to get to the point where I can play the game at a level like this? And I think that probably spurred me a little bit to, well, not a little bit, a lot, to be able to watch him play all the time. Jerry West has followed in Elgin Baylor's footprints twice. First, when he was drafted two years after Elgin Baylor. Second, when he took over the reins of GM for the Clippers, a job that Elgin Baylor held for 15 years. It was always really strange to be in uh, the same town as Elgin in the sense that instead of being teammates, we were in some respects a competitor. Elgin Baylor and Jerry West, two icons who competed together, then against one another, but inextricably linked by their love of the game and the city of Los Angeles. Jerry was unbelievable. I mean, he just couldn't even sleep at night. I mean, he was really unbelievable competitor. You know, he was fun to be with when he's not playing. But boy, when he gets out there to play, something's in a guy that it means so much to him to win. He was just one of those people, if you're around him enough, you say, oh my gosh, there's a presence about him. He's like the sweetest person, but yet there was that killer instinct. I don't know if there's words to describe how I felt about him, and still do. Mr. Baylor, how do you want to be remembered as a basketball player and as a person? Let me see. Let me think about it. So I was fortunate. I was blessed to have a good life. I guess my best would be a good person, a good man, you know, and a great basketball player. I think you checked those boxes, Mr. Baylor. Now, last question. If the Clippers and Lakers were playing in the Western Conference Finals, who would you be rooting for? <laughs> Boy, that's going to be tough, but I have to be rooting for the Lakers. Over your friend Jerry West? I'm going to tell him you said that. <laughs> On March 22, 2021, the great Elgin Baylor passed away. And we're dedicating this episode of the Westwood Podcast to the memory and legacy of Elgin Baylor. He wound it up in a blaze of glory, an average career-wise 27 points a game, the third greatest scorer in the history of the game, at only six feet five, the fourth greatest rebounder in the history of the game, Ten times an all-star, ladies and gentlemen, to make a presentation of his jersey to the Laker owner, Mr. Jack Kent Cook. Here is Captain Elgin Baylor. Next week on Westward. In the summer of 1960, Elgin Baylor and the Lakers would add a player who would help turn 10 years of hell pain into a furious, decade-long struggle that would not only wrest basketball supremacy from the East Coast stronghold of the Boston Celtics, 
but would sow the seeds of a bitter coastal rivalry that still exists today. When I first came into the league, I wasn't even sure I was good enough to play. But signing the All-American from West Virginia would prove difficult, as another Ohio area team, the ABL's Cleveland Pipers, also had their eyes on West. The Pipers were owned by a brash young businessman who was educated at MIT and entered the world of sports franchises against his father's wishes. His name was George Steinbrenner. My dad had a fight trying to get Jerry West. The money had nothing to do with it. I just wanted to play against what I felt was the best competition, and obviously I think I made the right decision. The Los Angeles Lakers have gotten its man. My dad originally became interested in the Minneapolis Lakers with a number of partners in order to try to save the franchise for Minneapolis. He was never going to be a long-term owner. Bob Short felt that both his investment and his team had plateaued. So in 1965, the same year that Marvin Crater buys the best team in the NBA, the Celtics, for $3 million, Bob Short puts a price tag on the Lakers for $5 million, which was absurd. There wasn't a business person in America who was going to pay anywhere close to that. There wasn't. But there would be one in Canada. His name was Jack Kent Cook. Westward is a production of the Dan Patrick Podcast Network, iHeartRadio, and Joy Road Entertainment in association with Workhouse Media and Sugar 23. Executive produced by Paul Anderson and Nick Panella for Workhouse Media and by Michael Sugar and Mike Mayer for Sugar 23. Joy Road Entertainment is P.G. Cucieri, Jim Young, Matthew Hatchett, Tim Livingston, and I'm Bobby Glanton Smith. Produced by Casey Whalen, edited by Charlie Magdaleno at Whalen Productions. Producers would like to thank Brian Short, Jerry West, Larry Earl Jr., and the late, great Elgin Baylor. Westward is narrated by Emmy Award winner Keith David. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for listening. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast. To start listening. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Scarcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.